chapter 17, verse 11 through 19 this morning. And I will go ahead and ask you to stand one last time, please, in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorifying God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Lord, we are truly grateful for your presence here this morning. And God, we know that when we're in your presence, Lord, that you do great things. God, I ask now that you'd anoint me to preach, Lord. God, that the words this morning that are preached would be like fire and that our hearts would be like grass. Lord, I pray, God, that this morning you would change people forever. That sinners would be saved. God, that your people, God, would see the need to walk in thankfulness and gratitude, Lord. God, I pray on this very morning as we have our thanksgiving service, Lord, and we're mindful of this time of year where we're grateful, Lord. God, that we would be grateful for You. Lord, that You would do great things amongst us. Have Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 18, there was one that turned back to glorify God, to show His thankfulness for what God had done in His life. This morning, I've chosen our text for Thanksgiving. As we stop and remember uh, during this week the things that we're thankful for uh, during this season and during this time of year, I know that some will say that we should be thankful at all times, and we certainly should, and I'm sure that I will say that before the sermon is over. But I do think it's fitting that at certain times of the year we stop and take a little extra time to think about what we're thankful for, to let God know that we appreciate all that He has done. This morning, I want us to look at a passage that I, I think is very fitting. I had originally chosen a passage in Second Chronicles when the ark had been brought back into the temple that Solomon had built seven years, uh, spent seven years building, and they were ready to open it up and officially begin worship in the rebuilt temple, and the people came in and the priests and all from the all 24 different divisions, they brought their trumpets together and they sang songs and they glorified God and it was an amazing time of praise and testimony and the glory of God filled the temple so much that they had to quit ministering and they could do nothing but fall down and worship. 
Hey, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought that would be a wonderful Thanksgiving sermon. But the truth is, this morning, it's not as fitting as our text. And I believe the word of the hour brings us to the question of, why do nine out of ten people leave and turn their backs on God after God has did so much for us and not even come back for a simple thank you? Why is it that only one out of these ten men who were all destined to die isolated and away from their families, a a slow and painful death, why is it that only one of these men came back to fall at the feet of Jesus and worship Him? And what can we learn about His example this morning? What can we learn about the example of the nine who refused to come back and give God thanks? So this morning I want to preach on thankfulness. I want to preach on the need for thankfulness. But before I do that, I would like us to work through this passage together. We see that we have come across ten lepers. Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, is the only one that recorded this event in any of the Gospels. I believe that he recorded it specifically because he was a doctor. He was one that would have been very um, moved by the story of ten lepers all being healed at the same time. And so what we know is that Jesus came to a certain town. It doesn't tell us exactly what town. But He came to a certain town and there were ten lepers. Often lepers traveled together. They were isolated because their disease was contagious. They were isolated. They didn't want to get their families sick. It was a disease that most often led to death. Rarely was anybody ever healed of it. And so what they would do is congregate together and in essence die together. Now, Jesus comes across these men, and they cry out to Him to be healed. Leprosy is a skin disease. There are different types of leprosy. And in spite of modern medical advances, an estimated 10 million people around the world have leprosy even today. One form of leprosy attacks the nerves so that the victim cannot feel pain. Infection easily sets in, and it leads to the degeneration of tissues until eventually the limbs become deformed and eventually fall off. Infected people were isolated and could not return to normal society until they were declared clean. In the Bible, Isaiah used leprosy as a picture of sin. And briefly this morning, I want to show you why leprosy is probably the greatest uh, disease that represents sin in mankind. First of all, like sin, leprosy is deeper than the skin. In Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 3, you don't have to uh, pull this up, I'll just read it to you. It tells us that the priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. So first of all, leprosy is deeper than the skin. And this is the same uh, truth about sin. The reality is that once leprosy has made it to the skin, 
And once the skin begins to show signs that there is a leprous disease under it, it is too late. There's nothing that can be done. You have leprosy and you're sick. You see, the same is true of sin. It is there from the time we are born. And when it is not dealt with, and when we do not surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Him to wash our sins away, eventually it surfaces. And there are signs, if you will, there are symptoms that we're sick. Sin is deeper than the skin. Sin is an issue of the heart. Now this is important because the fact that it is deeper than the surface means that you cannot deal with it on the surface level. This is how so many people try to deal with their sins. They might find that they're caught up in a particular sin in this area of their life, and so the goal is to try to cover that up or to try to make some changes so that that sin is no longer evident. Whether it is anger, whether it is jealousy, whether it is fornication, uh, whether it is lying, whatever it may be, these things surface. But the reality is they are only evidence that there is sin that is deep within of us, in us that is starting to work itself out. We also see that just like sin, leprosy spreads. Leprosy was a disease that continued to grow and take over the entire body. Sin is no different. Can I tell you that the flesh and the heart of man is desperately wicked? The more that you partake of sin, the greater your appetite will become. This is why multitudes of men get caught up in pornography addictions. And, and, and before they come to a place where, where all of a sudden their life is ruined, many have lost their families. Uh, the same is true of uh, gambling addictions and, and alcohol and drugs. It starts out small. It starts out where one thinks, well, I can kind of handle this. I can kind of control this. This is not controlling my life. But just like leprosy, sin, when it goes undealt with, it spreads and it continues to grow in our lives and defile us all the more. Which brings me to the third point. Just like sin, leprosy defiles. A person who was a leper was defiled, dirty, unclean, and therefore had to be removed from the community, removed from the home, at the risk of defiling everything else that the leper would touch. And therefore, just like sin, leprosy isolates. Sin will isolate you from God. Sin will isolate you from God's plan for your life. Can I say with compassion this morning, I have watched many Christians who refuse to repent of sins in their life. And you know what happens? It defiles them. Their hearts get hard. They get bitter. And they isolate themselves from the church. And they look for every reason to blame it on the church. It's the, I don't like the way that preacher preaches. I don't like the way this guy wears a tie. That guy doesn't. I don't like the way they sing this song or that song. But really, the ultimate problem is sin. That's what it is. And it starts to isolate you. Because that's what sin does. It seeks to separate you from God. And when we have sin in our lives that is unrepented of, when we have sin in our lives that we can clearly say, God, I know this thing is wrong. God, I know this thing is a sin. But yet we refuse to repent of it and we continue to stay in it. It defiles us. 
I'm just speaking to you the truth this morning. The reason that there are so many uh, Christians that, that have believed on Jesus Christ to, for salvation, but yet they live in, in such a miserable state is often because they don't fully repent of their sins. And then they feel isolated. And they feel distant. And they might show up and say, my goodness, what are those people all so happy about? Why does everybody got to stand and lift hands when we sing? My back hurts. Isolated. Don't understand. Where's that joy come from? Why do these people look like they feel so close to God? You know, God wants to be in a relationship with us. We know that He's, he's with us everywhere we go. We know that He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. But can I tell you, He wants to be in a relationship with us where you understand and, 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 and experience Him in a way where He's so close, it feels like you could touch, close your eyes and reach out and touch Him. Did you know that's how God wants to be in a relationship with you? Too many of us and too many within the church feel like God is this distant God that's a billion miles away that if you'll just kneel and do everything right and say the right words, somehow your words might make it that billion mile gap to His ear. But He's here. He's here. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if there is sin in our lives, it isolates us. And you feel all alone. And you feel distant from God. Leprosy is a great picture of what sin looks like. In the Bible, people with leprosy were looked on as dead. When God uh, smote um, Miriam with leprosy for speaking against Moses, Moses prayed, and this is what he said, Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed. Did you know in the New Testament, the Bible looks on those who are outside of Christ as dead? Even when we were dead in trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You know, the Bible says this this morning. I'm just I'm trying to tell you what it says. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, and you have not repented of your sin, and followed Jesus Christ, according to God, you are a dead man walking. You're just waiting for time to run out, and then you will be plummeted into the eternal second death known as hell. Sin is a serious thing. It is a disease that is outside of our control. It is a disease for which there is no cure. And this was the same truth of leprosy. There was no pill that somebody could take. There was no doctor that could fix it. There was no food that someone could eat that would cure them. It was an incurable disease unless God intervened. The same is true of sin. And this is why people all around the world, they go to every end that they can to try to make themselves righteous, to try to fix their problems, to try to fix their anger and their lust and their selfishness, and their evil, wicked ways, and yet at the end of the day, they are no better. We only grow worse and worse and worse. Now, you might be able to put on a bunch of clothes and hide from the rest of society what's really underneath. You might be able to have leprosy coming out of every pore of your body, 
But you put on a good suit and you put on a good tie and you walk the walk so that when you're around folks, nobody knows. But here's the truth, my friend. God sees the inward. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Can I tell you this morning kindly, it doesn't matter what any of us think. It doesn't matter what I think about you. It doesn't matter what my judgment is or is not. It doesn't matter if I think you're a great person or if I think you're a terrible person. It doesn't matter what the people in the pews think. What matters is what God thinks because what God thinks is what's right. And so we can, we can be uh, in a dangerous situation when we try to judge where we stand with God based upon our relationship with people, based upon viewing ourselves with people. You don't know a person's heart. You just never know. You can't look at the person next to you and think, well, I think this person is a good spiritual person. I'm going to try to measure up to this person, and if I do the things this person does, I must be right with God. Listen, every one of us stands before God alone. You will not stand before God with your husband. You will not stand before God with your wife. You will not stand before God with your children. You will not stand before God with your parents, your mother, your father, your grandparents. We stand before God as individuals and give an account for our own selves. And sin is a disease that only God can heal. No one can do it but Him. By grace, you have been saved. By grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's no number of church services you can attend, or no amount of money that you can give, or no amount of people that you can help that eventually will tip the scales and cause God to say, Saved. No, we are all sinners. All of sin and all fall short of the glory of God. That is me and that is you and that is every man, woman, boy and child that's ever lived and walked the face of this earth. Save Jesus Christ. And all of us need a Savior. Finally, the garments that were infected with leprosy were only fit for the fire. We find all of this in Leviticus chapter 13. Anytime a leper had touched any type of clothing, it had to be burned. And Isaiah says, but we all are like an unclean thing and all our righteousness like filthy rags. Some of you have heard me say this before, but I'm trying to paint the picture of what the Bible teaches about how much we need a Savior. You take all of the good works that you've done and try to offer them up to God as some type of payment for salvation. And God says it's like opening up a Christmas gift and finding within it not only rags, filthy rags. That's what our works are to God. I want to ask you something this morning. Honestly and candidly, are you offering God filthy rags? Do you somehow think that you're right with God because you try to outweigh the bad things you do with church attendance or giving or helping the poor or this or that? See, we should do those things. Those are good things to do. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things this morning. But those are things we should do out of the love from our heart because we've been changed. 
Not out of some form of payment where we think that we're earning something from God. Because the reality is, we must be saved. We need a Savior. Now these men, this was their state. Jesus comes to these ten men. So now we know their state. It's a terrible state. It is an absolute dreadful state. They are distanced from their family. They have a disease that's going to continue to spread. There's nothing that can stop it. It's only going to get worse. I know that this is graphic, but it is the truth. Eventually, their, their bones would decay, their limbs would deform, and some of them would even fall off before their very eyes, before they would die of this disease. This was the state that these men were in. And then comes Jesus. And Jesus gives them the answer to their dilemma. Can I tell you there is an answer to our dilemma? There's an answer to our dilemma. The most important word in that sentence is the word and. There's not several. There's not many. There's not a lot of different roads. There's not a lot of different ways. There's one. There is one answer to our dilemma and one answer only. And His name is Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice this morning, we ought to be thankful because He comes to where we are. He knew that these men needed touch. He knew that these men needed healed. The Bible doesn't tell us why. It just tells us that He went to where they were. And when they heard that He was there, they cried out and He answered them. This morning, Jesus is the answer to whatever your dilemma is. Oh, I wish to God that God would help our, uh, the church to see that. Let me say with, with a compassionate heart, I, I hope that you hear my voice, not a condescending tone of what I'm about to say. But the truth is, when I say that Jesus is the answer, I get a good hearty amen from most of the church. But most of the church doesn't really believe that. They believe Jesus is the answer to salvation. Don't mishear me. But they don't believe He's the answer to every problem. When their marriage falls apart, they don't understand. Somebody's not surrendering to Jesus. Can I tell you something? It is that simple. You can get mad at me and you can say I'm oversimplifying. It is that simple. Somebody isn't listening to Jesus. Somebody isn't following Jesus. It might be both. I'm not trying to lay blame at any person's feet here. But He is the answer. When we are wounded and we're, we're unable to, to have relationships with people or we're hateful or we're bitter or we're unforgiving or, we're, or, or anything in our life, Jesus is the answer. God has one answer to all of our problems and it is continually to show us more of His Son. Now, if you're here this morning and you have a problem that you need Jesus to touch, listen to me when I tell you He is the answer. And probably what we need to pray is what the man prayed about his son. Lord, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. God, help me to really believe that. Help me to understand that if I'll just truly turn it over to you, that you are a God that has the ability to touch and do what nobody else can do. You can heal in the matter of a moment. You can change in the matter of a moment. You can take a man's destiny who is eternity in hell, and in a matter of a moment you can change it to an eternity in heaven. You are a God who can do what only you can. And if I just believe that and turn to you and surrender to you, God, there's not a need in my life that you will not meet. 
We need to pray that. God, help me to believe that. Help me to quit looking everywhere else. No, preacher, I'll be happy. And I'll have joy when my finances are worked out, when I have a job. No, you won't. It might be helpful. But that's not the joy of heaven. That's not the joy of Christ. That is the peace of having worldly... um, uh, That's what I'm looking for. Safety and security. Now, God is a God who's promised to meet our needs. You know, when I look at the old, when I look at the New Testament, I look at the Apostle Paul. I'm going to paraphrase here, but but when he says, "We apostles are the scum of the earth," when he jokes sarcastically with the church in Corinth, "Oh, you guys are so high and mighty! How much we, the apostles, wish we were like you, kings that are that are blessed with abundant wealth." Because we, the apostle said, the servants of God, we are stricken, we are poor, we are beaten, we are without, we are in lack, we are in need. And yet, Paul said this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Told you, through Christ. Jesus is the answer to everything, right? You know, that's probably the most quoted verse in sports. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, throw five touchdown passes in the Super Bowl. Matter of fact, I'm going to turn there and read you exactly what it says. Philippians chapter 4. Look at this. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 11 through 13. Let's go 11 through 14. Let's look at this verse in context. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See? Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. The Apostle saying that I can do all things through Christ even in suffering, even in need, even in lack, even in pain, even when I'm abased and even when I'm, when I'm beaten and stricken and when I'm sick and everything isn't going my way, I can still do all things through Christ. See, Christ is the answer to every need, to every situation. Okay. So Jesus gives them the answer. He shows them the way by giving them His Word. We see that in verse 14. He told them, go show yourself to the priest. Now, I want to move to the principle of thankfulness this morning. So He tells them what to do. Go show yourself to the priest. You need to understand that this was an act of faith on all ten of them. Because one of the things that we also find in Leviticus 13 was that in order for a leper to be allowed back into society, he had to be healed, and a priest had to examine him. And when the priest examined him and could see that there were no more sores, 
that there were no more signs of leprosy and that the man had been healed, then the priest would pronounce him clean. And only after the priest had pronounced him clean could he come back into society. Now here's what Jesus told a bunch of lepers. Go show yourself to the priest. See, that was actually part of the law. It was necessary for them to be put back into society, but they weren't healed yet. But all ten of them got up and started to go, and it says this. As they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. Two things about that. Number one, sometimes healing is progressive. God can heal in the matter of a moment. God can touch a need and all of a sudden, immediately and miraculously, somebody's healed. But sometimes God heals us as we go. And if you're not willing to do what God has told you to do, you'll never experience the healing that God has promised. If God told you to go, you need to go. If God said, get up and get out of that place and go where I tell you to go and do what I tell you to do, if you don't get up and you don't go, you're not going to experience the blessings of God that follow. Too many people in the church... Too many people that come in these doors, they come in and their hearts are hard and they're angry with God and they don't know if they really believe and they're not real sure what they want to do in life. And they feel God when they come in this place and they experience God moving in their soul. But they do this. They sit on their hands and they say, God, if you'll change this and this and this and this and this and you do all of these things in my life, then I will know that you're real and then I will get up and then I will go and be who you tell me to be. But God says, brother, it's the other way around. You've got to believe me. You've got to obey me. And until you get up and you obey me and you repent of your sins and do what I told you to do, you're not going to experience the miracle working power that I can do in your life. You've got to do what God asks you to do. You can't sit on your hands and say, God, I'll do it after. God has already proved himself to us and he doesn't have anything to prove, by the way. Jesus Christ was a real human being who walked the face of this earth about 2,000 years ago. He was seen by multitudes. His miracles were attested to by multitudes. There were multitudes that were there when the man named Jesus Christ died on a cross. And there were multitudes who seen him up to 500 after he rose from the dead. It is a proven fact of history. I tell people who want to say they don't believe in Jesus that they just refuse to believe in history. Telling me you don't believe in Jesus is like trying to tell me that Adolf Hitler never was a person. It's about as crazy as what Ahmadinejad tried to tell us several years ago. The Holocaust never happened. It is an attested fact of history. The question this morning is not, is Jesus a real person? Did Jesus do miracles? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Those things are provable facts. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. They're approvable facts. The question is, how did he do it? The question is the most important question that anyone will ever ask, and Jesus asked it of his own disciples. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because he said he was the Son of God. He said he was the way, the truth, the life. He said that no man comes to the Father except through Him. That's what He said. He is the hope of the world. He is the salvation for the sinner. And there is none other but Him. This morning, have you turned to Him? 
This morning, have you truly surrendered your life to Him and realized you've got a sin disease that separates you from God? You are on a one-way track to death. You're nothing more than a dead man walking. And if you were to die today and stand before God forever and forevermore, you would be cast into that eternal lake of fire. And you need a Savior. You need saved. You need your sins washed away. You need your heart saved. Change that black heart made white as snow. And only God can do it. And I ask you this morning, if that's you, what is it that keeps you from coming? say this with all candor, if I was you this morning, I wouldn't wait to the altar call. I'd get out of my seat and I'd run to one of these altars and I'd fall down and just say, God, save me. Repent of your sins. So Jesus tells these men what to do and they get up and they go. And as they went, they were healed. One of them comes back. I'm going to deal with that one in a moment. But nine of them do not. Why do these nine men not come back? How grateful they should have been for the providence of God that brought them to Jesus in the first place. They should have been grateful for the love that caused Him to pay attention to their need. And the grace and power of God that brought them healing. The lack of gratitude was typical of the rejection of Jesus by the Jewish people in His day and time. He alone had the power to cleanse. However, the nation did not respond properly to Jesus. Listen to this statement. The nation accepted the things that Jesus could do, such as heal them and feed them, but it did not want to accept Him as Lord. This is where most folks are today. They know that God can feed them, heal them, take care of them, and to that extent, they're willing to do whatever it takes to get from God what they want. But they're not really, truly willing to turn their hearts to Him and make Him Lord. Can I tell you the difference is the difference between heaven and hell? What good does it do to be healed physically if you're going to spend forever in hell? What good does it do for... God the blessed us financially when in all reality we're going to die and it's all going to be left behind if indeed there is no treasure in heaven for us and hell is to be hold forever. What difference does it make? But too many, that's all they want. And they are willing to accept. They know God can fix this in my life. God can touch this area. God can do great things. And they believe on Him for that, but yet they don't turn to Him and follow Him. This was the story of the nine. Now before we judge them too harshly, are we thankful? How often do we take our blessings for granted and fail to thank the Lord? Psalm 107 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord with his, for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. Now I want to close it today with the thankful man. Luke's account closes with one unusual man. Let us learn from the Gospel this morning. Those who truly come with honest hearts and are thankful for what God has done are the unusual ones. It's not the majority. It's not the crowd. So, he comes back. Jesus answered and said, "Where were there not ten, but 
Where, where, where are the nine? Were there not any other found to give glory to God except the foreigner? Jesus said to him, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you whole. By coming back to Jesus, the man received something greater than physical healing. He was saved from his sins. There is no greater miracle than the miracle of salvation. There is no greater miracle than the miracle of God reaching in the heart of somebody that has a dead, black heart that is not alive to the things of God and then transforming it and changing it and washing it clean and placing within that person a new heart and a true desire to serve the Lord God. Jesus called it being born again. There is no greater miracle than that. I want you to think for a moment. Ten people left healed. One person left saved. Ten people left healed. One person left saved. Very important lesson. It's possible to come face to face with God. It's possible to be healed by Him. It's possible to have an encounter with Him. It's possible to see Him, if you will, in keeping with our story, to hear from Him, to even go so far that He's told you to go and yet not be saved. I've had people try to convince me they're saved. Their, their life has absolutely not a shred of evidence they love God. They don't obey God. They don't follow God. They are their own God. But they'll try to convince me they're saved because they had an experience with God. Because one time they, they were in a service and God did this thing to them or because they prayed and asked God to meet a need and God met that need and they just automatically conclude that that would mean they must be saved. No. What you can conclude is that God loved you enough to shower His grace upon you and to show you that He loved you right where you're at. You can conclude that. But salvation is a step further, my friend. Salvation comes when we repent of our sins and follow Jesus Christ and turn to Him with gratitude and thankfulness for saving a wretch like me. That's when salvation comes. And there are, oh, so too many like the nine who are convinced. They got a touch from Jesus. That's all they needed. They got what they needed and they go their way. And what a terrible thought to think of the day that will come just like in Matthew chapter 7 where multitudes will come before Him. They call Him Lord. They say, God, have we not done all these great things in Your name? We know all about You and we know all Your doctrines. And Jesus will say, depart from Me. I never knew You. What a terrible thought. Do you know Him this morning? Does He know you? While it is wonderful to experience the miracle of physical healing, it is a must to experience the miracle of salvation. This man came back and he worshipped. Every child of God should cultivate an attitude of thankfulness. I want you to look what happens when we're unthankful. I'm, I'm very close to being done this morning. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 you're saved here this morning, I want you to especially pay attention to these verses. 
Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Notice, because they did not glorify Him, nor were thankful. Their hearts were darkened. They thought they were wise, but really they were foolish. When we do not learn as Christians to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness, it opens the heart to being hardened. It opens our minds to being darkened. I want to caution you against being pessimistic. Pessimistic Christians are difficult to be around. And the reason why? Their hearts are hardened and their minds are darkened. Everything's always wrong. There's always a reason to to not rejoice. Yeah, I know you're happy, but what about this? The whole world's going to chaos. Have you not read your Bible? Of course it is. It was guaranteed to. I don't care if Mitt Romney won or President Obama won. The Word of God says in the end, men's hearts will wax colder and colder and harder. It doesn't matter. Read your Bible. Believe what it says. It's going to get worse. So why, why being pessimistic is so unhealthy for the Christian? It's hard to be around. It's discouraging. But the truth is, and I'm just shooting you straight this morning. I'd be talking to somebody that needs to hear this. When you get pessimistic and when you live with an attitude where you're not thankful each and every day, your thinking gets darkened. And you, you tend to lose the ability to truly see the goodness of God and the fact that God can take all things and work them together for the good of those who love God or call according to His purpose. I don't care how bad it is. Again, can I say it one more time? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lift up your head, child of God. Be thankful this morning for the reality that your God's never lost a battle and He's not going to lose one. Be thankful that He came to you where you were at and that He saw you in your distress and He saved you out of your sins and He's promised He's never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm telling you this morning, when we see God for who He is, we ought to have an attitude of thankfulness. It is the unthankful, it is the ungrateful attitude that causes us to, our hearts get hard and our thinking gets darkened. So let it be a word of caution. This morning we know the way. And we have the directions. May we be grateful for the providence of God that brought Jesus into our lives. May we be thankful for the love that caused Him to pay attention to our needs. May we be thankful for the direction and the way out. You know, we have the directions. I mean, the Bible has clearly defined the problem. It is defined the problem of humanity. But thank God, it isn't just a book of problems. It gives us the answer. It's told us the way out. His name is Jesus Christ. And He's never turned any away that have come to Him. This morning, if you need to be saved, Jesus is the answer. 
This morning, if your life is in shambles, Jesus is the answer. We know the way. If you haven't turned to Him this morning, I encourage you to do so. As our worship team comes, I want to ask you this morning, Christian. May thankfulness become a way of life. May we be honest enough to ask our own selves, have I become pessimistic? I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel small. But are you that person that's always got the negative thing to say? Are you that person that always has the negative light that you can spin on each and every situation to to remind everybody while it's not quite as good as what they thought? Stop it. Stop it. Become a person of thankfulness. Become the person who sees the best in people the same way God saw the best in you. No one else could see it. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Be that person who speaks life, who thinks life, who's grateful for what God has done. And like this one who came back and fell at the Lord's feet, I want to ask you the question this morning. How long has it been since you just took a break from your journey to come back and fall at the feet of your healer, your Savior, and to thank Him and worship Him? Seems like all I could see was struggle. Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past. Bound up in shackles of all my Bye.